Welcome to Enemies from War to Wisdom. Why do we need enemies? From intimate relationships to politics, tribalism, and community, we cannot seem to stop dehumanizing each other. Chronic conflicts in our families, societies, and nations seem inevitable. In this podcast, we analyze human hostilities from the most mundane to the most sophisticated. We apply psychology, psychoanalysis, art, spirituality, and relational theory in conversation about belonging and otherness. Each program will reach for a fresh wisdom that shows us how to step back from creating enemies in our lives. I'm your host, Eleanor Johnson, a videographer and artist with Emma Troop, an experimental theater group in New York City, and I am here with my co-host, Polly Young Eisendratt, who is a psychologist, Jungian analyst, author, and speaker. We approach our ideas each from our own worlds, but always from the spirit and teaching of Buddhism, of which we are lifelong practitioners. In today's podcast, we're going to be exploring love and hate for self. In our podcast, we have defined self as an interactional process with others. Self becomes a habitual set of dynamics with others, connected to narratives about identity, body, family, and tribe. The ways we talk to ourselves and to others about ourselves are often imbued with negativity and aversion. In this podcast, we will talk about how we can develop an attitude of love, acceptance, and witnessing of ourselves, and how we lose that attitude when we talk to ourselves in ways that are fundamentally untruthful about who we are and what we are doing. And so, Polly, once again, I'm going to give you the microphone, and we're going to explore love and hate for self. Thank you, Eleanor. And I thought that we might begin with a quote that you actually read to me earlier today by Bhante Ganaratana. He's a wonderful Buddhist teacher who's written Mindfulness in Plain English. And uh, the quote comes at the end, I think, of the book or the end of a chapter. And it has to do with the issue of what we call self and what we imagine about self and others. And so I wonder if you could read that quote. I would love to, Polly. Loving compassion goes beyond all boundaries of religion, culture, geography, language, and nationality. It is a universal and ancient law that binds all of us together, no matter what form we may take. Loving compassion should be practiced unconditionally. My enemy's pain is my pain. His or her anger is my anger. His or her loving friendliness is my loving friendliness. If he or she is happy, I am happy. If he or she is peaceful, I am peaceful. If he or she is healthy, I am healthy. Just as we all share suffering, regardless of our differences, we should all share our loving compassion with every person everywhere. No one nation can stand alone without the help and support of other nations, nor can any one person exist in isolation. To survive, we need other living beings, beings who are bound to be different from us. That is simply the way things are. Because of the differences we have, the practice of loving compassion is absolutely necessary. It is what ties all of us together. So he certainly is reflecting what you've been talking about in these podcasts, Polly. Yes, and what I liked about that passage is that it implies, because it's so deeply within him, it implies the love of self. Mm -hmm. You know, he doesn't once say you need to love yourself. 
but he implies that your participation with others is imbued with love and compassion. And when you say that, and when you see that, you realize that that means you too, you know, that you would find this attitude towards yourself is at the basis or foundation for practicing it with others. And what I find in doing psychotherapy, and I'm sure you recognize this from your work uh, in the arts as well, is that um, most of the people I see, uh, and I could say perhaps even everybody, but that might not be true, but most of the people that I see come to me because they don't like themselves. Right. And so they begin from a position every day of not liking themselves. And so if you begin from that position, it imbues all of your experience with the not liking part. That is the aversion part. And I remember years and years ago in the early days when I was in the teachings of His Holiness, the Dalai Lama, he would reflect on the fact that in the West there was so much self-contempt, yeah. self-hate, yeah. issues of self-esteem, things that were very foreign to, say, the, mm-hmm. you know, the Eastern mindset. Yeah. And, yeah, and that is so um, critical in terms of uh, the West. Well, and it seems like there's such an irony in this because in the West we emphasize the ego. Uh. We emphasize the individual self. And you'd think then that we love that because that's what we make so much of a focus about. So, you know, in our advertising and marketing and in our approach to consumerism, it's actually always emphasized that, you know, we have this freedom to be an individual and that we should pay attention to ourselves. And then I think also, in um, if you if you think about how people relate to each other in uh, in North America, there's a lot of comparing that goes oh, on. Yes, you know, yes. comparing yeah. me to you and what I have and you have and what somebody's body is like to somebody else's body, yeah. somebody's family. You know, in being a mother right now in Vermont, it's amazing how competitive a sport that is. Wow. I mean, mothers compete with each other. Right. They right. don't say so openly, right. but right. they're always looking at what is that kid yeah. doing and how right. many lessons do they right. go to? Yeah. And then yeah. what is, you know, what school did that right. one exactly. get into yeah. and yeah. so on. Or my so, son's a doctor. Yeah, my <laughs> son's a doctor. So it's like motherhood is even right. a competitive right. sport. Right. That's true. And so here we are, you know, in America, North America, I like to say it's North America, is, uh, you know, America is different from Canada, and yet there are similarities uh, in the emphasis on the self. Uh, and so is there um, throughout the West. I mean, uh, when I say West, I mean Western culture. Uh, you know, kind of going back to Descartes' idea, I think, therefore I am. Right, right. I mean, really, Descartes was questioning, how do I know that I exist? And that question never came up in the East. It never came up in Asia. It wasn't an interesting question because people didn't go around thinking about why I am different from others. I mean, it's just not built into 
the mindset, particularly think, in the Far East, like in China, and that from and do traditionally, you think they're, they're far le- they're far less narcissistic, or is it just that they uh, well, are and they're unconscious about it? No, yeah, I mean, so I would say narcissism, which is this concern for one's own uh, self protection and one's own um, success and so on. It's sort of, in the East, it's, and here I'm, you know, generalizing and stereotyping, but it's kind of spread out to the whole group. It's like the whole Uh family, the whole tribe. So in Japan, which is a country I know better than other Asian countries, um, you would never... In a, in a public situation, especially mm. if you were there with your colleagues or with your friends and family, you'd never try to stand out as an individual. You'd never speak about yourself as separate from your colleagues and family. And in a competition, you'd be embarrassed if you won the competition. So I, I do believe there is as much narcissism, but it's connected it's to the group. It's yeah, connected yeah. to the family. Yeah, yeah. So that's usually called like an honor-based society yeah, yeah. where it's the whole group, not the individual. You know, but g- getting back to the when the Dalai Lama was saying he, he didn't understand all this self-contempt and self-hatred here, there, there is an irony, and I think it's actually an irony that's worth thinking about, that by emphasizing the self and the individual self in North America, we've tor- turned it into a sore thumb. Mm. It's it's kind of like the thing that everybody checks in with. Is there a little pain, you know, ah, right, in right, my right. in my appearance these days? You know, do I look a little wrinkled, or am I a little a different weight that I want to be? So we've made the self kind of like a sore thumb. It's like we check in with it to see if there's something we don't like about it or something that's hurting us all the time. You know what I found also when I was doing the video self-portraits and I worked with a lot of people and and the thing over maybe say you know two decades was i never had anyone come in when they after they had been on the camera when the first thing when they looked at themselves they went into everything that was wrong with them yes. it didn't matter what level of yes. uh person it was or right. what level of education it was always the same i ne- it was always right there the first thing so i think if you had done his holiness he wouldn't do that right you know because right. he doesn't have that mindset right. but right. it's in the again in our society we focus on the negativity of right. the self, what That's we right. don't like. That's right. It's like we become obsessed That's right. with a negative self-importance. So we're worried about, did I do that right? Did I get as much as the other person? Am I thinner, fatter, faster, smarter than the other person? Did I actually get my number of golden nuggets that somebody else got more of so we've become preoccupied with the self in a negative way i call it like the sore thumb the self is like a sore thumb and so pretty much everybody that comes to therapy starts out with what they don't like about themselves and then they have built up a whole theory about what's wrong with them and um you know in, in a general way i could say in a general way for Women, that theory, focuses on intelligence and appearance. In a general way for men, it focuses on money and stuff, or sometimes success. But uh, So women are negatively obsessed with their appearance 
and also their intelligence. Although today, mother motherhood comes in there as a close third. They're they're obsessed with how they've done things wrong as mothers, or they, they're they're um, how they could do it better, or whatever. And the men are kind of obsessed with how much money they have or haven't made, how much success they have or haven't got, um, and. Mm, yeah, I, I would say in general, if I were to, to be forced to generalize, I think that women are more self-obsessed than men are. I think women I think are so negative yeah, about yeah. themselves that they become obsessed with it. Yeah, about you appearance know? especially, it's really critical. Appearance and to some extent yeah. their intelligence, you know. Yeah. And then that's But I even find appearance more than intelligence. Maybe appearance I mean, there's some, be, there, there are yeah. those women who do value intelligence, but but I mean even when I watch the young and I'm in the theater and I'm I deal mm-hmm. with with all of, you know, performance and even the young, the in their 20s, they're talking about going in and getting plastic surgery. I mean, yeah. it's it's. I mean, it's it's dramatic. And you know how how terrible is that? Because they've also completely decided that that self that is their body, the thing that they think is real, they think that's real. And if they chop away at that, that they believe something's going to get better. Right. Exactly. And, Definitely, and, it's and going to get th- better. That's like a yeah. total mistake yeah. because yeah. if so they, they chop, hide behind the appearance, well, if they chop yeah. away at it enough. It will definitely be much worse because it's going to go in that direction anyway. And the fact that it's not real and they're focusing on it means that it's a path of suffering. So in the, in the Dhammapada that I mentioned in the earlier podcast, the uh, Teachings of the Buddha, the translation by Gil Franz Dell, um, there is a chapter called The Fool. And I will just read a little few passages here. Night is long for one lying awake. Seven miles is long for one exhausted. Samsara is long for fools, ignorant of true dharma, samsara being the world that we're in. If, while on your way, you meet no one your equal or better, steadily continue on your way alone. There is no fellowship with fools. A fool suffers thinking, I have children, I have wealth. One's self is not even one's own. How then are children? How then is wealth? A fool conscious of her foolishness is to that extent wise. But a fool who considers himself wise is the one to be called a fool. So the plastic surgery, I believe, is a fool who considers herself wise and then really has to be counted as a fool because she believes that her body is herself and that her body is real and that that's where she needs to make the intervention. So I know we're going to do a program on appearance, and so I don't want to stay too long on this issue of appearance right now because what we're really focusing on here is the way that you love or hate yourself. Right. And so we've we've kind of gone into the introduction to this, which is big, very big, because I think it's something we have in common with lots of people and especially with women, this constant narrative that is going on in the way that people talk to themselves negatively, comparing themselves to others, critiquing themselves, talking about to themselves 
what they don't like, what they haven't done, and how perhaps they've been cheated by life. So that becomes the narrative that is being practiced all the time. And that's being practiced. And shaping their experience. And so when we said last in the last podcast that wisdom arises from practice, without practice it decays, knowing this two-way path for gain and loss, conduct yourself so that wisdom grows. And I can tell you that wisdom does not grow if you are talking to yourself all of the time about negativity about yourself. There is no wisdom in that. And what you are practicing is a negative voice that will come out towards others. That's right. And sometimes you'll be talking about yourself negatively, but sometimes you'll be criticizing others along those same dimensions in the way that you've practiced towards yourself. Exactly, yes. So this negative self-importance that we're going to call contempt for the self is foolish in a number of ways. First, the very first thing that it's foolish in is regarding the self as real. And the second way that it's foolish is practicing all of this critical way of talking and seeing things and then not actually noticing with any gratitude what is happening that's working well, what is happening that is interesting, and what is happening and what is arising that you can be engaged in. So the negative self-importance is a form of self-hatred. And when we talked about hatred in the last program, what we were saying is it's an attitude. It's an attitude towards something. It's not a feeling. So it's not as though you feel, you know, in a necessarily any particular feeling towards yourself. It's like you take an attitude that this is wrong, that's wrong, and, and that attitude then is one of despising and demeaning, but it's towards one's so-called self. So and if, if we, you know, if we just kind of, you know, expand that a little bit to the tribe, I mean, we were talking in the last podcast with the family, yeah. but you can see that that same dynamic plays out in terms of the tribe yes. and how, you know, you, you, again, you know, your hatred of someone who is different from you. Yes. Or you can have your hatred of your own family. Right. You can have the hatred of the ones in the family that right. you feel have abused you right. or have treated you badly. And then you're rehearsing that negative speech and you may be just rehearsing that within mm. yourself. So often people think that talking to themselves is not doing any harm. Mm-hmm. I mean, to me, that to me that seems like insanity. Mm-hmm. But I know that mm-hmm. because of the of the general conventional way that we walk around, we believe that if we're talking to ourselves, it doesn't have an effect. And now we're using that in social media. It's, it's intensified. You mean that we're people, talking on our well, or yeah, or people are are just sharing that through social media and just you know uh, that kind of um, uh, negative worldview. Or their negative, yeah. uh, well, their negative narration about or themselves, yeah, yes, themselves yes, right. or or others in their group or whatever. Yeah. But that it's it's playing. I mean, the mirror is just you know is just gotten wider. So you know the 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 part that I think often misses people's attention or discernment is that if you talk to yourself 
you are actually number one harming yourself. Right. Uh, if you talk, if you talk relentlessly, negatively, critically, self-hating towards yourself, and number two, you're practicing. You're practicing a foolish approach to life. Instead of practicing something like compassion towards yourself, right. equanimity towards yourself, you're practicing this other thing, which is beating up on yourself. And you get good at that, and you will also then extend it to others. You cannot help but do it because instead of having practiced kindness or this loving compassion right. towards yourself. Now you've practiced this other thing right. which has taken over the wisdom channel. That's right. And instead of the wisdom now, you're very good right. at criticizing yourself and maybe criticizing others along the same trajectory. Right. And do you think too that there's, you know, people are unaware of how addicted they are to perfection? Well, I think that the addiction to perfection is is expressed or symptomatized in um, self hatred, yeah. because you may only know the self hatred part, that's a great point. and so then people say to me, "I have low self esteem," right. and when I ask them about their low self esteem, it turns out that they have a narrative of self hatred. Mm -hmm. It's not as though they necessarily otherwise have performed badly in life or are at the bottom of some socioeconomic whatever it's that they have been talking to themselves in this relentlessly you know negative way and um and maybe also even having some sort of narrative about how others have much more than they have that's another way that self-hatred gets practiced is that we are, are comparing ourselves and what we have with what somebody else has. And then we end up not appreciating what we do have. So, you know, to get back to, again, the, some of the earlier podcasts about what the homo sapien is, what kind of organism we're in, and then what the self is, because we don't want to forget that this whole business of self is actually a kind of practice that we engage in and the things that we habitually rehearse about what we consider to be this so-called self, which cannot be inside of your body because if it were, then when you have the corpse there, you would know that's over. But when you see a corpse, you know something's missing from that corpse. And something that seemed to be missing is the self that seems to be missing from the corpse. And so the corpse and the self cannot be the same thing. Right, right, right. And so this other thing is an interactive process when you're engaging with the so-called world, you're actually formulating a way of being that's associated with your body when you're alive, but it's actually a habit in the way that you relate from your so-called self to the so-called others. And that habit could be compassionate, loving kindness, or it could be hatred based on self-hatred that you practice over and over again, or it could be equanimity, which we'll talk about in a moment, where we begin that path right. of moving 
that from becomes hatred to non-hatred. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 It's like liberation. It's wow. the beginning. Yeah, it's the beginning, the beginning of liberation. Of liberation. Yeah. So, so going back again to review a little bit about the Homo sapien, you know, so the kind of the kind of organism that we are, the kind of let's say, being biological being that we are, is is strongly programmed towards aggression and violence, and we know this again by looking at the history of our species on Earth. And I like to remind us of that so that we understand what we're up against, you know, so that no individual feels like, oh, I'm just virtuous, or I I know how to live a virtuous life here. That is impossible. You cannot know that until you're deeply, deeply enlightened. And when you do live a virtuous life here as a deeply enlightened person or being, then the path is open in a way that we're not talking about. We don't need to talk about it because when that opens, then that's that's fine, that's done. But the most of us, and by far the most of us always, are in this form of Homo sapiens, a very violent species and very, very self-protective and very capable of enacting both hatred and self-protection based on fiction based on these ideas that we have, that we go around rehearsing about how things should be. You know, we should not be wrinkled, or we shouldn't be fat, or we should only eat this thing or that thing, or we should only do this kind of activity and not that, and so on. These are fictions. So when we change the story, we change our lives. Well, especially our attitude towards yeah. the story. Yeah. Or you know, the, or it's like you can to... drop the story, yeah. always yeah. drop the story, yeah. because the story is not yeah. in the room with you. You're right. bringing it right. into the room. Right. You know, And that does help break us out of so many of our habitual patterns. Again, going back to, to, you know, to practice, you know, like we're, you know, we're dealing with, you know, noticing. Yes. You know, yes. noticing that yes. ah, there I am again. Oh, I'm about yeah. to step into the hole or, oh, you know, yeah. and you catch yourself. That is, that is something again, that as human beings, we have that capacity, capacity. and that capacity is what saves us or it's what condemns us because it is this capacity to, to decenter, to abstract ourselves, right. to take a step back and see ourselves, that same capacity that allows you to become absorbed in negative self-importance, where you're just always criticizing yourself, that capacity could allow you to awaken to the wisdom, the natural wisdom of being here. If you actually stopped the self-hatred and began to engage with that sense of curiosity into whatever's happening at that moment, what's going on around you. Because 99.9% of the time, what's going on around you is not harming you. It, what is harming you are your own thoughts are unguarded. Your own, thought, right, your right, own right, thoughts unguarded right, are what are harming you, right. and they are leading you towards the hatred, the negativity, right. and then that's what you're practicing. Right. And so your wisdom then is declining. Right. Right. When you're practicing that, it's not like it's a nothing burger, right. like nothing right. happens, you know. <laughs> nothing burger. But then again, we go to the thing of you know, you know, like war is fixed. You know, you can't. I mean, from war to wisdom is what we're talking about. You know, that that capacity within all of us to to move out of that that aggression and that violence. But to but I mean, the word that keeps coming to me is what allows someone to actually hope in a way that you can have a bigger picture. 
So, I mean, I don't think there's ever any lack of hope. The problem is well, when almost... when negativity is there, it doesn't that... Well, the problem is mostly just the attitude that one practices. The practicing... So in this program, we're talking about love and hate of the self. And so we haven't actually talked either about the self or love of the self. So we're, we're kind of saying, okay, the kind of organism that we're in is highly pulled towards negativity. We remember what we don't like much more than we remember what we, we like. like. We have more negative emotions than positive emotions. When we get up in the morning, we'll notice what's wrong rather than noticing what's working. Right. So, so number one, in order to have something like equanimity, where we're open to our experience, we have to tolerate the negativity without doing something about it, without starting to narrate or starting to react or whatever. So the second thing that's really important in this is that this notion of self, which has become such a focus of our culture, is actually a big mistake. It is not, it is not contained inside of the body. It is not something that is just individual. It is an interactive process or practice that we're doing all the time. And so if we practice that with equanimity, if we practice it with loving kindness, both of those practices will show us inherently that it Excellent. is not inside of us Excellent. and yeah. that it's not harming us, Excellent. that we do not need in any way to be so protective of this thing that we imagine that it is. And so if we can get to a point of the loving kindness towards our experience, then we actually will wake up to the fact that moment to moment to moment, there is always something to engage with that is actually interesting. Now, I want to just take a step back again and talk about love. So in, in our last podcast and in the podcast on love and hate, you know, I I've, I've, think I've made it very clear that love is an attitude. It's not a feeling. Right. And so right. the attitude of love is one of interest and engagement. Right. And when you love something, you are interested and you're engaged with it. And then you actually remain interested because it becomes kind of fascinating. And then you accept it as it is because you recognize the entirety of the suffering, the context, and so on, and you remain engaged. So in relation to yourself, that's what self-love is. Self-love is to remain engaged with interest in your specific circumstances. That is you as you are in this world as it is and being interested in the doors that open and the doors that close. The doors that open, that's the path going forward. That's where there's space. That's where you can go forward. The doors that close, that's where you mourn and grieve and you're disappointed, but not with that sense of, oh, they did this to me, they did that to me, right. but with this there's sort of acceptance. interest. Like, that's interesting. Yeah. Equanimity. Oh, that's happening now. Oh, I didn't get my way. 
oh, it wasn't the thing, this wasn't what I but wanted. It doesn't, doesn't mean you don't feel it. I remember, I remember once one of my teachers saying when we were talking about all of this, but it, it, you know, uh, it was Lama Pema, Eric Kempo Pema, who said, it doesn't mean that His Holiness doesn't feel grief. Right. Like well, Westerners can... somehow think that feelings somehow are, I don't know, motivators. They are motivators, but equanimity means that you feel more deeply right. and more completely right. Right. because you accept. It's like, right. so equanimity is this ability right. to stay with your experience. So all of the feelings yeah. then actually are yeah. felt. Yeah because you don't push and pull on right. it. It's when you are pushing your experience right. away right. that you have to project, right. you have to maybe deny your feeling, maybe you bury your feelings, right. maybe you just decide you're not going to feel. It also gives you gives you the room or the spaciousness to deal in a healthy way with vulnerability. Well, vulnerability you mean equanimity. Be, well, yeah. I, yeah, but I mean, when you think of, you know, when vulnerability comes up, that's when you kind of want to run or hide or get away from or out project it on somebody else. So you don't have to feel it. But but there's 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 extraordinary capacity when you can just be in the vulnerability. So the vulnerability, I think what you mean by vulnerability would be feelings like humiliation and fear shame. and anxiety yes. and shame these are uh, tend to be the negative feelings that one has about oneself that you're afraid for yourself or you feel exposed in your weaknesses or you feel afraid for those you love and so those feelings are they tend to be um, agitating feelings mm -hmm. If you, if you actually can love them, if you can love those feelings, it is having interest in equanimity. When you're feeling them, you then begin to get the sense that you can tolerate those feelings and that you don't have to do something about them. A lot of what happens to Westerners especially is that we believe that when we feel something, particularly something that is uncomfortable, that we have to do something right. about that feeling right. rather than just experience it, just to feel it. And by feeling it, I mean that we actually sense the body sensations and we listen to the narrative going through our minds, but we're not grasping onto the narrative. And we also see the images that come through the mind within that feeling state. So feelings actually are nothing really special, but people make them very special because we like the expansive ones and we don't like the contractive ones. And mostly human feelings are contractive and not expansive. Or people so feel then, it's their identity. It's, it's who they are. Well, they wrap up into their feelings, all their preferences. Well, well, and so go. the preferences then get narrated as I don't like, like this. I didn't like that. I, you know, and I don't like myself. Right. So, um, so back, so back to the idea then about love, what is love of the self? So the love is the remaining interested, the ability to tolerate what comes up, and then the not refusing anything in your experience, and also always Be being able to notice. To notice now this is happening, now that is happening. Yeah. As I said, most of the time, 99.9% .9 of the time, on an everyday basis, nothing bad is happening to you. 
in some situations, yes, you might be in pain. Sometimes you might be in fear. And sometimes you might be in other kinds of negative emotions that cause you agitation. But most of the time, all of this negative feeling about the so-called self, the walking around with all the negative self-importance, that is what is causing the suffering. That is what actually people come to psychotherapy for. And all of that is really deeply unnecessary and unwise, but it's very, very hard for people to see that. But in the process of psychotherapy, in the process of Buddhist practice, you come to see that there is really nothing in your experience that you need to refuse because your experience is always teaching you. And if you can be open to it, if you can be open to it, you'll be learning. So, and your greatest teachers are your enemies because your enemies actually will show you how to work with, if you can work with them with wisdom, they will show you how to work with your own experiences in a way that you had never imagined that you could do. And um, similarly with loss, loss will show you that as well. It will show you that you can bear what you thought you could not bear. Um, So I know that one. (laughs) Yeah. And so, you know, and so the, the whole issue of loving and hating the self gets very distorted around negative self importance in at least the people that I see in therapy, Western people, they tend to be preoccupied with narratives about their appearance, their wealth, their success, and maybe also their enemies. And in that preoccupation with those narratives, they suffer a great deal. And so perhaps their everyday life isn't that bad. I mean, one of the things that's pretty remarkable, if you look at the research, I heard Bill McKibben talking about this the other day. If you, if you look uh, at research um, on America in terms of poverty, in terms of social possibilities and so on, everything has been getting better in America since about 1950, believe it or not. And have people been getting happier. No, they've been getting unhappier. Dan Gilbert in his book called Stumbling Onto Happiness brings this up, that as people get more wealth here, they get more wealth, they get more safety, they get more health. They live longer now than they did previously. Because we focus on this individual self, we compare ourselves more with others and we always feel like we have less. So even though we're healthier, we live longer. There's more wealth in our country and there's more safety. And that's true really across the social classes. People are less happy than they were in the 50s on all of the dimensions of happiness. And also in our time, there's, there's less capacity to see genuine suffering of other people who don't have access to what they have. Well... I don't even know if that actually is a part of the problem because I think the problem isn't so much seeing... I think many times people would say, yes, I do. I give money. I give, 
I give my time, I volunteer, and so on. I think the problem is these negative preoccupations with the self that causes the lack of wisdom and the suffering that it's not so much even a compassion for the other or even interest in others who have less, supposedly, but more the negativity towards what one has oneself and the way one sees oneself. It's the negative self-importance. It's a negative self-comparisons that mean that people across all social classes actually see themselves more negatively and with less happiness than they did when they had less. And, you know, I know that His Holiness said that um, when somebody asked him about happiness, he said he notices that the poorest people across the world are the happiest. Yeah, I, I've heard that I, yes, too. but I don't know if that's true in America. If you look at the poorest people in America, they are not the happiest, but neither are the wealthy people and neither are the middle class people. It's like in America, no <laughs> in America, nobody is. I mean, right. it's, it's like the tendencies yeah, towards happiness yeah. are, are, are falling off because of this negative view of the self and this hatred of oneself and then the practice of that instead of so the practice of loving kindness with oneself looks like this it's basically being able to be interested moment by moment by moment to what's actually happening engage with it actually feel the feelings without engaging in a negative narrative about yourself or someone else and then remain curious and move from equanimity and compassion towards true love for yourself, which would mean that you would take yourself anywhere and you'd be able to engage with others because your interactive self would be full of love because it would be full of love since you're full of engagement with your actual experience in your life. You're not engaging with the fiction and the narratives about how bad your life is and how difficult your circumstances are, etc. So that key to self-love is the engagement and then the compassion for the self and then the continued engagement equanimity until you can spread it around to others because you feel it within yourself. Yeah. So that's yeah. that's actually yeah. the the love for the self isn't yeah. there something and so there? i mean again Gonna loving talk. compassion should be practiced unconditionally unconditionally this is great wow. and so that's unconditionally yeah. with yourself yes, because exactly. who is the person you're yeah. walking around with all of exactly. the time all of yes, the time it's exactly. yourself yeah exactly yeah thank okay. you polly hey <laughs> <Okay>, eleanor <laughs> Thanks so much for listening. And to continue the conversation, you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can find past episodes of the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and CastBox. Enemies from War to Wisdom is recorded and produced by Chris Coltrane.